Uh, if you'll take your Bibles, turn to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles, and we're in chapter 4 today. We're just going to do an exposition here of about uh, less than 80 words. And uh, about 20 years ago, a man by the name of Bruce Wilkerson wrote a little booklet entitled The Prayer of Jabez. And it sort of went viral. I mean, there was Bible studies on the prayer of Jabez and, and lots and lots of stuff. And, and I hope that you don't take wrong what I'm about to say. But God taught me the prayer of Jabez 20 years before Bruce Wilkerson wrote his book. And I want to tell you where I was. A young pastor and... Uh, And I met with a, another young pastor. And we would meet about every two months and would fast and pray for three days and two nights. And I was on the top of a mountain staying at a little flea bag hotel because we couldn't afford anything nice. And uh, the good part is we had two beds, one for him and one for me. But we prayed that God would use us, that God would help us. And I was reading Jack Taylor's book on the much more of the spirit-filled life. And that's where I was introduced to the prayer of Jabez 40 years ago. I used to preach Pastor Malcolm in our church in Decatur. I used to preach out of request of our people. I'd preach this sermon every year. And you'd think that they'd quit listening to it. But every every time it was it rolled around and they'd ask me to, to preach it, the place was packed to hear again. Because I believe in every one of our hearts today that we have a desire to be used of God. I mean, we wake up with a desire to be used of God. Now, in the Hebrew culture, a name meant something. I mean, it really, really meant something in the Hebrew culture. And so when you're reading through the book of Chronicles, and all of us that read our Bible through a couple of times a year, you know, you get to Chronicles and it's like, oh, Lord, help me. But you start in Chronicles chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's like reading a Hebrew telephone directory. It's just name after name after name after name after name after name after name that you can't even pronounce. And you're listening to somebody read it to you and you still can't pronounce it listening to them read it. How did they pronounce that word like that? And then we get into chapter 4, when you start chapter 4, you're just the Hebrew director again, man. It's, it's just the name after name after name. But then you get to verse 9, and the Holy Spirit of God says, Stop. Stop. I've been giving you name after name. And, and by the way, one of the reasons names were so important is because a name proved the reality of what was being say, said and what he was teaching. And he said, stop. I'm going to introduce you to a man that had an incredible 
desire to be used of me. I, I want to introduce him to you. I want to, I want to tell you some things about him and what I tell you about him. The last thing I'm going to tell you is that what I, what I did for him, I'll do for you. What I gave to him, I'll give to you. As I was preparing, Pastor, I went back 40 years. And it was like last night I was in that mountain. God used me. God used me. Don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss what you have for me. God used me. Please use me. And in that mountain, the Lord said, I'm going to introduce you to him, Doug. And I'm going to tell you some things about him, Doug. And what I tell you about him, Doug, I'm going to do for you if you want it. If you want it, you can have it. Amen? So let's read. Are you ready? I'm sorry, but I, I just, honestly, man, I, I, I went back 40 years ago, man, just. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez. Now he's going to give us the definition of what Jabez means. Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldest keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Would you bow your head before I make my prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I hope no one's looking. I'm certainly not. But right here in the stillness of this time before we pray, I wonder how many of you would just slip your hand up to God and say, Oh God, give me the desire like never before to be used of you today. Would you just slip your hand up and take it right back down? If that's what you want, God, give me the desire to be used of you like never before in my life today. Father God, you see our hands, and Lord, beyond hands, you see our hearts. Do a work, Spirit of the living God, and we will thank you and praise you. Lord, if I've prepared it and you don't want it said, give me wisdom not to say it. And Lord, if you want it said and I haven't prepared it, God, fill my heart, my mind, my mouth. And Lord, what we say, what we do, may it come from you to us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I've been around a long time. I had the privilege of pastoring for 46 years. And I'm thankful for that. But I want to say as I begin this morning, in 46 years, Brother Malcolm, I've never seen the church in the condition we're in today. 
Now, how we got here, we can debate it. But my goal today is not to debate how we got here. And I, when I say here, I'm talking about today. It, it, it's not how to debate how, how we got here. My, my goal, and by the way, if we want to debate how we got here, let's debate how we got here so that we never get here again. But my goal today is where do we go from here? What does the church of the living God, what do we do? Where do we go from here? You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10, 11, and 12, we're to put on the whole armor of God, to put it on because we're going to battle. But then we find in Ephesians 6, verse 18 and 19, he tells us where the battle is. You see, to get dressed up for the battle and not know where the battle's at, is it's just a waste of energy and time. But he tells us in Ephesians 6 that the battle is in this place of, of prayer. And he says it sort of like this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit of God. And see, what makes us pray is the desire, the desire to be used of God, the desire to have God's hand upon us. And listen, I promise you, the battle today is not in soul winning, it's not in discipleship, but the battle is in prayer. And if God's people pray, if God's people desire then I think God's going to move in in a great and mighty way. You see, the Bible says of this man that he was more honorable. Verse number 9, honorable. Now, I could understand his mama saying he's more honorable. Couldn't you? His daddy didn't say he's more honorable. But you see, they would be biased. But God, the Father, the Creator of all universe said, this man is more honorable. This is God's account of the man. And to be honorable, we must do something and do it well. So what is it that this man had that God called him more honorable? Now, wait a minute. Let me make sure you get this. We have been reading name after name after name after name after name after name, right? And he says, stop. I want to introduce you to Jabez. And Jabez is more honorable than all the names we've read before him and all the names we're going to read after him. So what did he have? Well, he had a phenomenal prayer life. But he had a desire. He had a desire. And we're going to look at it in a moment. But he had a desire to be used of God. A hunger to be used of God. And his life had its hindrances. We find it in verse, again, in verse 9, the last part. And, and they called his name Jabez. And, and then you said, because she bore him with, with sorrow. I mean, can you imagine, you're just enjoying your little grandson. Can you imagine naming him Sorrow? Think about that. What, what, what's that boy's name? Now, now we would say, well, his name's Jabez. But in their culture, when you said Jabez, they understood Sorrow. Now, I could understand naming me Sorrow after 67 years of living in this world. Because I've experienced Sorrow. I've been to the graveside. I've been to the hospital bed. I've been when the disappointment was so great you couldn't hold your head up. I've been to those places. I understand it. But here is a young baby and his name in birth is given. Sorrow. And there's a reason. And what God's trying to tell us is that anyone ever used of God will be acquainted with sorrow. 
We somewhere we have this crazy idea that I can be used of God and everything is just wonderful. Everything falls in place. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. No. If you're used to God, you're going to experience all kinds of crazy stuff. Our first church, 14 people. 14 people. And I can tell you story after story of the sorrow pastor. The hurt, the pain that we went through. When we moved to Decatur and we came to a church running about 100 in attendance, everybody that knew me, our church back in Tennessee was running over 550. I'd led most of them to Jesus and I had some of my best friends say to me, Doug, you're the craziest, dumbest man that God ever let breathe free air. What are you doing? You're crazy. And I thought to myself, I'm crazy too. I went to a church that began in 1898. A little new church on the block. This church had had pastor after pastor after pastor. But here's the one characteristic. Only two men had ever stayed longer. Uh, only two men had ever stayed up to five years. Everybody was gone in two years and three years and two years and three years. And, 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 and you know, here's something that I, I couldn't tell for years. I can tell it now, brother. I was in this, I was in the state of Texas when I was in seminary and preaching a seminar while a student in there in Longview, Texas. And I spent the night in the church that night and God showed me some things. One thing God showed me was that I would pastor two churches in my lifetime. Only two. I would stay at the first one more than ten years. See, I can, I can tell that now. I couldn't tell it for all these years. I stayed at my first church twelve years. And I'm now going to a church that has not had but two guys that made it five years. And by the way, both of them left under distress. And I'm thinking to God, God, what in the world are you doing? And I, I'm going to tell you, I thought I, I'm going to die young. Because <laughs> I'm only going to pastor two and I'm not going to make it long. I'm, I'm out of here. This, this is not going to last long. But we came. And God did what he's done all of these years. But to say it's easy, No. When we had been there five years, the same crowd that rose up against these other two guys that made it five years rose up against us. And I'd love to tell you that was easy, Pastor. It wasn't easy. I thought I would die. I thought I would die. I had people that I thought loved me talk to me like I was a dog. You say, what did you do? We just hung in there. You know why? Because God said, if I'm going to be used of Him, I'm going to be acquainted with sorrow. And by the way, you're in good company. Because the Bible said of our Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, 3, that He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You know, Pastor, everybody thinks that Temple Baptist just happened. I just happened. You're at the right place at the right time. 
It just eases in and eases out. How stupid. His name was Jabez. Born out of sorrow. And then what God does is He takes us to the prayer of Jabez. And by the way, if you want to know a man's heart, listen to his prayer. If you really want to know what's in a man's heart, listen to his prayer. Listen to how he prays. Listen to how he talks to his Creator God. And he began his prayer. Let's look at it together. First thing he does is he asks God to bless him. Look at verse 10. And Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Look at what he says. Oh, that thou. You see the urgency of his prayer? You, you, you see, we read it like, Oh, that thou. But here's, here's how it is in the, in, in the Hebrew language. Oh, that thou. Oh, that thou. You ever been where you were crying out to God? Oh, God. Oh, God. I remember in our first church, we were going through something that's just incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. And I was going to the funeral, and I went to the funeral in another town. And, and I was coming back home, and it was dark. And I had my suit on where I'd been at the funeral. And I got to weep and I couldn't stand. I couldn't see it. I pulled over alongside the road and I laid out on my face on that gravel and I said, Oh, God. Oh, God. Urgency. God, we can't do it without you. Let me tell you, we're not going to make it from where we are today to where we need to be to the coming if we don't get some urgency urgency in our life we're not going to be able to do what we used to do it's going to take urgency do you realize that that 8,000 churches a year in America are closing the door and that was before this COVID 8,000 churches a year closing their doors and not only that guys but I believe the coming is near so we don't have the time we don't have the luxury of time. We've we got to do it now. But look at the second part of his prayer. Not only the urgency, but the personalization. He said, oh, that thou wouldest bless me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I've heard people for years say, well, you don't pray for yourself. You pray for others. Can you look at me for a moment? That's the dumbest statement that will ever be made in the world. Do you pray for others, preacher? Yes. But you better know how to pray for you. You better know how to cry out to God for you. I look at my life like the ship. And if the ship stays afloat, we don't have to worry about having the small boats for everybody else. But the ship better stay afloat. And you better know how to pray for you. How you pray for you. It was a personal prayer. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me. And then look at the magnitude of his prayer. He says, indeed. You know what that means in the Hebrew language? It means truly and surely. It's the boldest prayer, at literally. It's the boldest prayer ever prayed in the Bible other than Jesus' prayer. It's a bold prayer. It's a man that's praying. Here, here's what he's saying. God, 
do something great. Do something big. Do something that only you can do in my life. That's how he was praying, God, do something that only you can do. See, that was Elisha's request. Remember what Elisha said to Elijah? He said, ask what you will before I'm taken and I'll give it. And what did he say? I won't double what you had with God. Whatever, what, what, what you had, Elijah, I want it two times over. I want it two times over. I want it double. And you know what God did? He gave it to him. Study it. If you don't think it's there, study it. You find that the miracles that God records of Elisha are double the ones from Elijah. A bold prayer. We had a lady in our church. Mrs. Ampedri was her name. Her husband was a character boy. He was a character. My eyes still hurt when I remember driving by and seeing him out there in lime spandex bathing suit mowing the yard. That'll hurt your eyes. I'm not kidding you. Beer belly hanging over it. Something else. Something else. Make you know you're straight real quick. I can tell you that. I witnessed to that old boy. I witnessed to that old boy so many times, and every time I talked to him about the Lord, he—I mean, I had times, Pastor. He just—he—he'd just walk out of my presence and go in the house, shut the door behind me, like get out of here. I'm—I'm I'm done with you. I prayed over him, but I'll never forget one Sunday morning. I was preaching, oh man, if anybody's going to reach our loved ones, it's going to be because you want them saved. It's not going to happen by accident. When I gave the invitation, Mrs. Ampedri came forward. And I'm going to tell you, she ruined the invitation. I've never heard such weeping and wailing in all of my life. It was scary. I'm telling you, at first, it terrified me. I mean, she was screaming and wailing, praying for her husband. Two weeks later, that old boy was in church with her and walked the aisle and gave his heart and life to Christ. You know why? Because somebody, somebody cared and somebody said, Oh God, bless me indeed. God, do something that only you can do. One of my best friends in the world pastored up in Nashville. And I'll never forget, I can't tell this story anywhere near like he can tell it, but I'm going to try to tell his story. Old Randy told the story how that a lady in his church had called him and said, Pastor, I need you to pray for my husband. He's a drunk. said, we've raised our kids and we stayed together for the kids. But I don't think I can stay with him anymore. I can't stand it. said, he's a good man. He's a provider. But when he comes home drunk, he's just mean. He's just mean. I'm, I'm afraid of him. He's mean. And he said, I said to her, well, Sister, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. She said, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. And he did like, I mean, I hate to dis, but they need to know we're honest like everybody else. I went on to, he talked about, I went on to something else to do and I prayed a little prayer, oh God, help her husband. Lord, do a work in her husband's life. And you know, she needs help. And went on to the busy day. He said the phone rang and it was her and she said, Pastor, I need you to pray for my husband. He said, oh, I, I prayed for him. She said, but no, I, I need you to come to my house and pray for my husband. He said, I will. He said, I got to the house. She, I, I came to the door and she welcomed me in. And she said, Pastor, God told me how I want you to pray for my husband. 
He said, okay, let's pray. She said, no, no, Pastor, I, I got to tell you how. He said, she took him right into the den and there was a big old lazy boy. And she said, would you put your hands on this lazy boy and pray when he comes in and watches TV that God would get him while he's in that lazy boy? And he said, well, yeah. He said, he put his hands on and said, oh, God, when he's in this lazy boy watching TV, get him, Lord, get him. So when he got through, he said, all right, sister. I hope she said, oh, no, no, Pastor, we're not done yet. Said they went into the kitchen and said, there was the dining table, and she said, Pastor, he sits in this chair to take every meal he takes in this house. Would you put your hands on the chair and pray for him? She said, yeah. She put his hands on the chair and began to pray for him. Oh, God, get him. When he sits in this chair eating a meal, get him, God. They got through. He said, he said, well, all right. She said, oh, no, Pastor, we're not done yet. Took him out into the garage, and in the garage he had this this really nice work area, workbench, and all the tools. Said Pastor, he comes out here and he fixes things and he builds things. And would you just pray? And he said, Man, I was getting into it, but then said I just laid my hands on that, and I said, God, while he's out here working and fixing something, get him, Lord, get him. And he got through. He said, All right. She said, Oh no, Pastor, we're not done. She took him into the bedroom and he said, when we walked into that bedroom, that drunk was laying in that bed, passed out. She said, Pastor, would you lay your hands on the bed and pray that while he's even asleep, God will get him. He said, that was the quietest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. He said, I thought if that drunk wakes up and I'm in this bedroom with him and his wife, he'll kill every one of us. Said when he got through praying, she said, Pastor, we're not done. We've got one more place to go. I said, sure enough. Went to the bathroom. He said, but then I was in the prayer. I was into it. She said, Pastor, would you pray while he's here in the bathroom? I said, yeah. He said, I, I just reached over and put one hand on the john, one hand on the lavatory, and I prayed, oh, God, get him. Get him. When they got through, she said, Pastor, thank you so much. Tears running down her face. I said, Pastor, thank you so much. He said, I walked out and I said, God, I've, I've never experienced anything like this. Just get him, Lord, get him. He said, the next Sunday, he said, I looked for her and she wasn't there. I thought, oh, Lord, what's going on? He said, the next Sunday, I looked and we'd started the singing and, 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 and she was not there. And he said, we'd gone right on in. He said, close to the time that I'd get up to preach and she wasn't there. He said, all of a sudden, the back doors opened. And in walked that drunk, but he wasn't drunk. He was sober. He had a suit on and he was holding her hand as they walked in and walked in and came about halfway down the aisle. She looked up at him and she said, Pastor, God got him. He said, I've never had the courage to ask her where he was when God got him. When was the last time you really prayed God would do something? That only God could do. When was the last time you got a hold of the horns of the altar of God and said, God, I'm not going to turn loose until you do something, Lord. Until you change it, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn it loose. Oh, I remember a pastor on that mountain. I bowed before God. I said, God, I'm not going to turn it loose. I'm not going to turn it loose. I'm not going to go home like I came. I'm not going to be like I was. I'm not going to turn it loose. Look at the next part of his prayer. He asked God to enlarge his coast. Look at verse 10. He said, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge 
my coast. You say, what in the world does that mean, Brother Doug? Here's what he's praying. God, give me greater influence. God, give me greater responsibility. God, give me greater opportunities. God, give me more to do for you. God, give me, give me, Lord, take my, take my life where it's at. And God, stretch it out. Stretch it out. Take me where I could never go myself. God, stretch me out. You see, that's a spirit-filled prayer, folks. You see, the spirit-filled life says it's a desire to be used more of God than ever before. You, you didn't find people say, well, I'm so busy now and I'm too busy and I'm, I'm too involved. I can't, well, there's nothing about the spirit-filled life in that. Now, I believe we have to have boundaries and I believe we have to have priorities. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, there ought to be a desire in every one of us that says, oh God, oh God, please enlarge my coast. Use me like you've never used me before. You see, God stretches us through adversity. Listen to what David said in Psalm 4, verse number 1. He said, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress, having mercy upon me and hear my prayer. He said, God's enlarged me when? When, when? when I was in distress. Listen to what he says. Psalm 118, verse 5. In distress, the Lord answered me, and he set me in a large place. Jabez, the name means sorrow, and God takes these tough times in our life, but if we react to God in a positive way, saying, God, use me, God, stretch me, God, enlarge my coast, it's incredible what God will do for us. In Kingsport, Tennessee, a young pastor and his wife, he was just in his early 30s. He took a little old church there, and Many of you guys know what East Tennessee looks like. That's, uh, that really, uh, when Jesus comes back and puts his foot down on the mountain, it'll be right there. Uh, some of you folks scare me when you don't laugh. <laughs> this young man went to that church, and that church just began to grow like crazy. And the blessing of God came on them like crazy. And one of these church growth, organizations went to him to interview him and what he was doing and he wouldn't talk to them. He, he would put them off. I'm, I'm so busy, I can't do it. He didn't want to talk to them. They went around him and went to his wife. They said, he won't talk to us, but could you tell me what, what's, what's, what's happening that's causing this little old church that was dead all of a sudden now is a mega church and all of a sudden now hundreds and hundreds of people are coming to Christ. Something's happening. Can you tell me what it is? She said, I really don't know what it is, but can I tell you what I think it is? And they said, yes, please. And they got out to write. She said, I woke up one morning, in, in the night, not one morning, but I woke up during the night. And always if I wake up at night, I reach over to touch him. Just know he's still there. And I reached over to touch him and he wasn't there. I thought, well, he's got up to get a drink of water, go to the restroom. and said, I laid there for a minute just waiting on him to come back to bed, and he didn't come back to bed. And said, I got, got a little bit worried about him, and I got up and started looking for him. He wasn't in the kitchen. And he wasn't in the den. And so I began to look through the house. said, I began literally to panic. I thought, what, what's happened to him? And said, I, 
went past the the kitchen area where I cook and the door leads out into the garage and I could hear something. I could hear somebody crying. She said, my heart sank in me. She said, I thought I was going to die. What's happened to him? She said, I opened the door and I could hear him crying. And I thought, what has happened? And she said, I, I looked and he was wrapped up in an old blanket laying under the front of the car. And when I opened the door, I realized he wasn't crying. He was crying out to God. He was saying, oh God. Oh God, we need you. Oh God, help us. God, take care of us. Said he was calling out names to God. She said, I just closed the door back real quiet. and Went on back to bed. She said, I don't know when he came to bed, but when I woke up that morning, he was beside of me. She said, I can't tell you how many times in this last year that I woke up during the night and reach over to touch and he's not there, but I know now. I look up in the closet, that old blanket, and if it's gone, I know where to find him. He's out under the front of that car begging God. She said, sir, I don't, I don't know why God's done what he's done here. But I think this is why he's done it. This is why he's done it. Here was a man that said, Oh God, oh God, bless me indeed. Oh God, enlarge my coast. Then look at what he prayed. He prayed that the hand of God would be on him. Look at look at verse 10, verse 10. He said right here, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge thy co my coast, excuse me, and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me. He prayed for the hand of God to be on his life. God, put your hand on my life. Let, let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you were conscious of the hand of God being laid on you? How long has it been? Folks, let me tell you something. Ten seconds in the presence of God with his hand wrapped around you can take care of ten years of pain and hurt. Amen. I said, oh God, Lord, that your hand would be with me, that your hand would be with me. I, I, I promise you, I, I, I heard Jack Hiles preach a sermon years ago entitled Fresh Oil. Fresh Oil. He talked about the life of David. Every time God took David to another another uh, uh, stretching, another uh, opportunity, another responsibility, he gave David fresh oil for the job. When I heard him preach that sermon, I was just a young pastor. Been pastoring about a year and a half. And I'd graduated from the seminary and I knew how to preach the sermons and, and you know, and I, and, I, and I really prided myself on preaching the sermons, you know, and and uh, just hearing people say, oh, that's so good. He's a smart young man. It, he, it, it, you know, I, just, I, I prided myself on that junk. But he talked about the fresh oil and he said, how long has it been since you led somebody to Jesus? And I realized I wasn't a soul winner. Now there was thousands of people there that night and I, came, I went forward. When I got forward, all of the altars like here were already filled with people and the only place I could kneel was right in front of the front seat like right there. And I knelt down. I still remember it like it happened last night. 
And I said, oh God, I'm not going to go back home like I came up here. If I can't be a soul winner, if I can't lead people to you, if you can't use me to build your church, then I'll go home and I'll get me a job. And I'll work and help somebody that can do what needs to be done. But I said, God, I'm not going to get up from here unless you give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, then I'll go back home and resign. And I'll just get a job. And I'm telling you, Pastor, they, they'd already, you know how they, the invitation was over. I had people trip over me, step on me. I said, God, I'm not getting up. But I promise you, listen closely, I promise you. When I got up off of my knees, I wasn't the same. I wasn't the same. All of a sudden in my life, a passion to win people to Christ, a passion to grow people in Christ, a passion to take God's Word and to reach our city, to reach our community as never before was in my life. And here's a man that prayed, Oh God, that your hand would be upon me. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, he said I keep my body under subjection and I bring, I bring it into subjection lest that while I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. Paul wasn't saying that I can lose my salvation in that verse. What Paul was saying is that while I'm preaching and while I'm talking to other people, God, don't put me on a shelf. Don't stop using me. Oh God, put your hand upon us. Put your hand upon us. And then he prayed that God would keep him from evil. Jesus prayed that prayer for me and for you in John 17, 15. And he said, keep him from evil. And Jabez prayed it like this. Let's read it. He said, keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. I know what grieving is. Do you know what grieving is? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I, I know what grieving is. I know what it is to hurt when you think you can't ever quit hurting. You're thinking it'll never go away. And here's a, here's a man that said, God, when I sin, when I fail you, it hurts so bad I can't stand it. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, every one of us as Christians in this house this morning, our prayer ought to be, God, when I fail you, let it hurt so bad I can't stand it. Let it hurt so bad I can't stand it. Do you, real, do you realize the far-stretching results of our sins? Do you realize that adultery, what it will do for the next two or three generations, you think is just your life? Listen, you're going to destroy the lives of multitude of people. Do you realize that fornication can absolutely destroy a future, yours and other people around you? Do you realize when you lie, when you steal, when you cheat, when you do you realize the far-reaching effects of your sin? And here was a man that prayed, God, use me. God, please bless me indeed. Enlarge my coast. Put your hand upon me. But he prayed, oh God, don't. Let me turn my back on you. Don't let me hurt you. Don't let me hurt you. And then let's close it. You ready to close it? I am. See, Pastor, if I can quit ten minutes early, they'll think I'm a hero. 
your pastor is one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life. I said this Wednesday night, I've never heard you preach a bad sermon. Never have I heard you preach a bad sermon. But let's let it close. You ready? Look at it with me. Look at it with me. And God granted him that which he requested. God did it. God did it. I was listening to a black preacher many, many years ago. His preaching on the miracles of Elisha. And he got to preaching and talking about those miracles and he got carried away, got completely beyond himself. And he got to saying, Oh God, do it again. Oh God, do it again. Oh God, do it again. Do it again. And you know, as I read the prayer of Jabez, for me today, for you today, I pray, God, do it again. How many of you would pray, God, do it again? If you did it for Jabez, God, do it again. Do it again. And listen to me, listen to me. If we're going to take the church from where we are today to where we'd better be when he comes, when the trumpet sounds, guys, we're going to have to get back to a desire like never before to be used of Almighty God. And there's some of you watching me right now. You're at home. And I realize the, 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 the media and all the fear of the COVID. And, and listen, if you're not healthy, stay home. But there's some of you staying home. You need to get your backside back in the church. And you need to get back involved. Listen, guys, I, I just, I, I'm just old-fashioned. I know that. But I just happen to believe that I serve a God that can not only save me, but a God who can heal me and the God who can take care of me and that when He's done with me, He'll take me home. But until then, I've got a job to do. Oh, God, do it again.